0: Welcome to Trash Compactor, I'm Josh. Most of the people we talk to on the podcast, myself included, grew up with the original trilogy as the only Star Wars there was, making our experience of the prequels something fundamentally different. I've been interested in talking to fans who got into Star Wars via the prequels, and today I'm presenting a conversation I had with a user I met on the OriginalTrilogy.com forums named Keith, a.k.a. Octorox, who first got into Star Wars in the lead-up to Revenge of the Sith at the ripe old age of 12. Just a note here, this chat happened last summer, but I wanted to hold it back for our prequel-focused season because I think it fits better here alongside the topics of our other recent episodes. I should also note that due to a technical malfunction on my end, my microphone wasn't working during the recording, so my audio isn't the best, but Keith's side is crystal clear and he had some fascinating insights that I didn't dare want to lose. So without further ado... Here is the conversation I had with Keith from last summer about his experience coming to Star Wars during the time of the prequels. I'm pleased to be joined by Keith. I'm glad to be here. So Keith, if you don't mind me saying, you uh, post on the original trilogy message board, which is a website primarily about fan edits and fan preservation. uh yeah.
1: That's correct. So it's, a, it's a little ironic that I grew up with the prequels and I, I post I'm active on originaltrilogy.com. but it's kind of, uh, I've been with the site for a long time and it's kind of morphed from being a site specifically kind of for fans of the original trilogy to kind of congregate. I know when, on uh, at a way back in the day when like the force.net was like very prequel positive, like some, some of the, like. more disgruntled parts of the fandom kind of uh, gathered there, but it's really evolved. So many, like, fan edit projects have come out of there, so it's really evolved into kind of just, like, a general community for fan edits, preservation of the films, like, and really all kinds of discussion. And I find it's probably one of the more... These days, it's one of the more chill Star Wars uh, fan communities out there. So I, uh, I, I would
0: enjoy... Yeah. No, so I would agree with you. You know, in full candor, a lot of Star Wars Online fandom spaces I find difficult for mm-hmm. for one reason or another. And the original trilogy generally is always a fun a fun read. So you said you experienced the films in the episode order. Yeah. So was your first Star Wars movie
1: the Phantom Menace? Um, yeah. So I actually, I came to it a little late. Uh, Star Wars so I was uh born in 91 so I I um was probably about 12 12 12-ish when I when I first got into Star Wars which I know like compared to some people it's like I watched it when I was five or whatever it's it's a little late um to get into it but basically I had a friend uh at the time who was really into Star Wars and the um basically the advertising and the hype for The Revenge of the Sith was just, um, starting up. This was like around 2004, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. like the, the first trailers were coming out. It was being advertised, um, you know, on, on TV commercials. And, you know, as a kid, honestly, as a kid, I mostly watched animated stuff more than, um, than, than even live action. You know, I grew up with Disney, the Disney Renaissance. So like, Lion King, Lone Mermaid. Mm -hmm. Uh, all those movies. I grew up with watching Nickelodeon, Nicktoons, and Cartoon Network in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, So, um, and honestly, yeah, so that's kind of how I got introduced to it was kind of seeing those commercials, hearing my friend talk about it. And he had kind of like the Lego sets. And I think the the Phantom Menace was when they started doing the Lego sets and you know he had all that stuff. So I kind of wanted to get into it. So I um I went to my dad actually, you know, because um and I asked my dad like I hey, I want to get into Star Wars. Like will you watch these movies with me? And of course, you know, he he he's he's someone who saw all th- all three of the original trilogy in theaters. Um you know, when they premiered. So, you know, he, he's like, sure, like, we'll start, you know, we'll start with those. And my thought at the time was like, hey, well, wait a minute. Like, these are numbered, you know, one through six. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, what my friend told me is that these ones, even though they're newer, they come first. You're supposed to watch these, you know, the, my kind of like 12-year-old, uh, you know, I was kind of like buying into to George Lucas's um, kind of preferred way of, of kind of imagining how a new fan will kind of, uh, or a cha- uh, kid will kind of watch through the movies. So I can't a hundred percent. So we actually did end up watching the prequels first. Um, uh, we rented from Blockbuster, the DVDs for Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones i um had your dad seen the prequels before or no was it this first he time had as well? no he had not he had he had not seen the prequels he had watched the original trilogy when it came out in theaters and he just hadn't really thought much about star wars since then sure. um like most normal you know, people yeah <laughs> <Not> like us <laughs> ne- yeah ne- neither one of my parents were really like I de- I was definitely introduced to things by my parents sometimes, but neither of them were really people who were like, you know, a lot of times Star Wars fans, they're like, oh, when I have kids, if I have kids, it's like, I want to introduce my kids to it at the right time. Or like, you know, I want my kids to kind of watch all the stuff that I did growing up. Neither of my parents were really like that. They didn't really push anything on me. And that's probably why I hadn't seen Star Wars and I was 12. Um but uh anyway, um, so we rented the the Phantom Menace to start with, uh, the DVD. Um and you know, this is the DVD, so we had the uh puppet Yoda and Phantom Menace and all that stuff. And we we watched it on uh, I think we had we had a pretty nice TV for the time, but it was like a 30 something inch CRT. CRT. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think I do think there is something to watching it on a CRTV. The kind of like the differences in the visual effects and stuff are not as noticeable at a lower resolution. But um anyway. That's true. Yeah, so we watched those. I honestly don't remember if it was that I watched one and two, and then I watched Revenge of the Sith in theaters, and then I watched the original trilogy. Or if I watched it like one, two, four, five, six, three. Oh, really? i might have because i was i was getting into star wars um in the lead up to revenge of the sith so i know they came out with that original trilogy box set in 2004 the the 2004 dvd set and um yeah i I, remember that that, those were the ones i had um and they were the full screen versions the pan and scan not the uh the widescreen which w- was a mistake but i i think it was kind of like i i because I, I was getting it like i think we we're really getting it for my dad but it was really for me you know because i wanted to watch them so i would ask well, him hey like, nothing you...
0: wrong with dr- nothing <laughs> wrong with growing up with the pan and scan of the original trilogy that's what i yeah. do and at even lower resolution yeah. so
1: so I, I think yeah i think the idea no was like here Yeah, the idea was like, oh, well, of course you want it to fill up the screen, right? But like, you don't think about the fact that you're losing a bunch of picture information on the left and right side. But um, yeah, so I may have watched those 2004 original trilogy discs before I saw Revenge of the Sith in theaters. I'm honestly not sure, but it's that kind of like, I was watching it all at the same time. So it was like all kind of a blur, you know, it. I didn't have kind of the experience of watching the prequels or watching the originals and then sitting with those and then watching the prequels or vice versa. Like it was, to me, it was just all one, you know, I knew that the prequels were newer. I knew that they, you know, had quote unquote better effects because they were newer and they were made with, with newer technology. You know, I, I understood that, but I didn't, really think of it as like two distinct you know i thought of it as one story i guess yeah. which is kind of like what what i guess george lucas was was going for you know so no absolutely that that was his stated yeah. intention
0: so, so that's yeah
1: certainly what it was
0: um out of curiosity do you remember um what your feelings or thoughts or reaction were to the phantom menace and then episode two yeah when you saw them the first time i mean clearly you enjoyed them enough to keep on
1: i did yeah yeah so uh, you know the thing is as a kid i really like so i started obviously with with a lot of animated stuff and then i kind of got into you know fantasy and that's kind of how i saw star wars i wasn't really i didn't really get into sci-fi until later i was really you know i was into harry potter i was into I don't know. I I definitely had read The Hobbit. I don't know if I had watched the Lord of the Rings films yet. It was all kind of around the same time, but I feel like I I didn't see those in theaters, so I might have watched them a little later. But, like, I was really getting into fantasy. So when I watched the Star Wars prequels, I was kind of looking at it through that lens. Like, these were, these are epic fantasy films that have spaceships and stuff in them. I wasn't kind of... I mean, they really are. They really are. I mean, like, like, I think that's actually
0: a really good you know, uh, transition, uh, like, a it's a really good way to move from like kind of high fantasy to science fiction because yeah. Star Wars is really fantasy with the iconography of science fiction. And, but like yeah. My
1: book. And I feel like the prequels, the prequels have even, I feel like even tilt more towards fantasy and, and perhaps even less of the science fiction than the original. I mean, You could say something like, oh, the midichlorians, that's a very science fiction concept. But um, in terms of, like, the visuals, like, it was very kind of these kind of, like, it was much more something like you would think of in, like, a Lord of the Rings. Like, it was kind of, like, courtly drama mixed, Mm. you know, mixed with, um, you know, kind of high fantasy and these, like... um, you know, these lush environments of like, um, you know, with Naboo and everything. It was kind of these, yeah, these lush landscapes and, you know, kind of the idyllic green pastures that you might see in like of Lord of the Rings or something versus kind of the gritty used universe kind of feel of the original trilogy. Absolutely. And and like, and the main characters are yeah. like
0: knights with swords and like you don't have like exactly. a Han Solo sort of like rough and tumble yeah. greaser.
1: And I think that's something that like is a big differentiator between kind of fans who grew up with the prequels and fans who grew up with primarily the original trilogy is honestly Han Solo never interested me that much. I was way more interested in what was going on with Luke than I was with Han Solo because I cared about the Jedi and I cared about like the Skywalker saga, you know, like that's 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 fascinating to me. Yeah, that's, that's what I was invested in. Yeah, to me, Han was more like, I liked Han. Like, he's a fun character. But it to me, that wasn't the core story. The core story was Luke and, his, and Anakin. And, like, um, you know, it's very, I think very much how George Lucas saw it is, you know, yeah. yeah, this is a father and son, a kind of intergenerational saga, like an epic. It's almost like an epic poem in six parts or something is like how he was conceiving of it at that point. You know, I don't know when he was conceiving the original trilogy. I know he was thinking of some of those things, you know, he had ideas for the prequels, but it wasn't, you know, it, it, there definitely were other elements to it. It wasn't the same thing. I mean, especially like, I'm thinking of something like the Flash Gordon inspiration mm-hmm. in the original trilogy, I feel like that's more in terms of sort of the the storytelling is very like flash gordon kind of like it's an adventure story whereas i feel like in the prequels it's a little more literal like the visuals are flash gordon inspired like if you look at like the naboo starships and stuff it's like all curves and all kind of like shiny chrome chrome yeah yeah um so like i think it's interesting kind of like how his conception of it evolved over time and i can see how that was frustrating for fans, I mean, for fans of the original trilogy, I think for me, you know, and I will, we'll kind of get into how my thoughts on the prequels kind of evolved over time, but, um, you know, I would say the way, you know, to the extent that I do enjoy those movies, I enjoy them in a very different way than I maybe enjoy the original trilogy films or even the sequel films, like to me sorry the way you enjoy
0: sorry the way you enjoy the prequel exactly like the way you you kind of have to
1: i will say as a kid they totally worked on me so like the phantom menace even as a kid i think jar jar and some of that stuff i felt a little like okay this is you know I, i was 12 so like i'm like maybe i'm a little like a little above this i feel like but The, all the, the kind of the stuff with the Jedi and Darth mole and the kind of like the visuals and the music, like all of that kind of like worked on me and it kind of like, for me, it was like a very compelling at the time, a very compelling, like introduction to the universe of kind of like, this is a really cool fantasy sci-fi universe that I want to, that, you know, that I got sucked into and it made me want to watch the other movies, uh,
0: well, I and mean, it's...
1: well, I mean, then, yeah. then, then
0: George Lucas was right on the mic. Yeah. Because that's exactly what he was trying to do. He, I believe, said he yeah. was making movies for 10 year olds, but, but yeah. so maybe that's why, maybe you were a little yeah. over the Jar Jar stuff, but, but, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I think that was his intention. And you,
1: yeah. are living proof that it, um, that it succeeded. Yeah. An Attack of the Clones. I, I honestly, I think I remember finding Attack of the Clones a little more boring, actually, than The Phantom Menace. I think, you know, I probably the romance aspects at the time, like, where, you know, 12-year-old boy, it wasn't really, you know, maybe I wasn't the most into that. But the other stuff, like the stuff with the clone army and Obi-Wan investigating and then the big arena fight at the end, like, all of that was cool to me as a kid. Like, it just worked. It It worked the way, I think for the most part that that george kind of wanted it to work and and we'll get into revenge of the Sith. that was the first star wars film that i saw in its original theatrical release um and that movie that's a movie that i still have a strong fondness for to this day i i think The first two prequels, when I watch them, there's certainly a lot that I appreciate about them still, but there's also a lot of things that take me out of it a bit as somebody who's, you know, seen more movies and is, is older and, and kind of, you know, approaches it from the perspective of someone who has kind of learned about filmmaking and, you know, yeah. But Revenge of the Sith, despite its issues, still works on me and I, and I watch you know, and obviously being part of the original trilogy forums, I've been exposed to kind of various fan edits, and I've even made my own. But Revenge of the Sith is the one prequel where I could watch the... I can watch the original version the, and just have a good time with it. And the issues with it don't really... Um, the, you know, they don't bother me that much. And I, I can kind of get into that more, but... Um, yeah. Uh
0: no, yeah, th- um I think Revenge of the Sith is definitely the one uh for me at least where the the emotions are most visceral. I think it really hits yeah. me more on a visceral level more so than um yeah. the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones yeah. because I think you know that's really the whole you know, reason yeah. for the prequel's it's, it's existing. The meat,
1: it's the meat of the story. You know, it's kind of yeah. like I've heard it I've heard it said like, oh, George Lucas was kind of riffing for two <laughs> movies, and then he's like, all right, now here's all the stuff that I like knew I actually had to be part of these movies. That's that said, I don't think the other two movies are not important or not essential i know like some people i agree but, like there's that whole idea of the machete cut where it's like you just cut out the phantom menace you don't need it i i don't <clears throat>
0: i don't like that uh because yeah <clears throat> so look, full disclosure and i will get into this in much more yeah. detail over uh you know many episodes uh future episodes to come but i uh, yeah i have complicated feelings about each of the prequel films but I have a real soft spot for the Phantom Menace. It's, it's actually for my money, the one prequel that feels the most like the original trilogy. And I think this is a theory, but I think it's because it was shot on thirty-five millimeter film. So so it so it it's it has that kind of warmth and that mm. grain. Unless you watch yeah. it on uh, streaming yeah. on uh, sure. uh, Disney Plus, where it's yeah. been uh, DNR to hell and everyone looked like a wax figure but but the the um i'm a big sort of proponent of the idea that the you know the the aesthetic quality of the image like that that uh uh, 1080p digital video look especially in attack of the clones yeah me creates this like visual separation uh, between mm. the first four movies and yeah. uh, the next two prequels, but that just uh, could be my own personal. I kind of.
1: no, I, I think you. I think you're onto to something. You know, the thing about me, I think, is the aesthetics. There are definitely things, especially with Attack of the Clones. There are definitely elements that don't hold up so well, like in terms of the CGI and stuff. But the thing about the aesthetics is, I think. Like, you know, you being someone who grew up, grew up watching the original trilogy first is I think people are very attached to those aesthetics. It's the kind of, again, like I said, the used universe, but also kind of like the, the 35 millimeter, like optical effects, like everything kind of feels handmade. you got the puppets, all that. And I love, you know, I love that stuff. I think it's really cool what they were able to do. Um... But I also, you know, I grew up with CGI. Like, it was just kind of a thing that was in movies. And yeah. Um. so the prequel trilogy, to me, it does look dated. Some of it looks dated. It's dated in a different way than the original trilogy is. Right, absolutely, and for sure. Yeah. I think it's kind of an aesthetic. It's a different aesthetic. And I think you either, you know, you know, I... Now I know there are p- people like my age and even younger than me that they have the same kind of warm, fuzzy nostalgia for early CGI that people who grew up in the 80s and 90s maybe do for practical effects. Like, which I uh, love,
0: by the way. I
1: love yeah, that. Like, you can see the seams of it definitely, like, uh, you know, not to get too technical, but things like no, ambient, please. Very ambient technical. occlusion, like, Ambient occlusion and stuff like there's been a lot of advances. Highlight, yeah, there's been a lot of advances in CGI that make it look much more photorealistic now. But you know, I think the I don't necessarily know that I feel that nostalgic for the early CGI, but I definitely like appreciate it as like wow, like you know, you got to think about when this movie came out and what they were trying to do, and like obviously their ambition kind of. Um, you know, maybe went past like what the technology could really pull off well at the time, but I don't know. Like, I was watching it again, I was watching a ton of animated stuff at the time. So, to me, it's like a movie was a movie, it didn't matter if it was animated or live action or CGI or you know, hand drawn. And like, now, as someone who studied film, I have an appreciation for like all those different media and how they differ and and kind of the aesthetic value in different media. But at the time as a kid, like a movie was a movie. And so like that aspect of it was not, not something that ever struck me watching it as a kid. I was never like these movies, why do these movies look so different? I was just kind of like, well, these movies are newer, so they're going to look different, but also I thought, Hey, this is, you know, this is the, the. height of the republic this is the time where things are going to look pristine and shiny and it's going to look um you know grand and it's it's kind of you know and then the the original trilogy we've kind of got these scrappy rebels and we've got um you know pulling scraps together to try to mount you know a fight against the empire so like it makes sense that things look more worn and used. absolutely and so like for for me that like the aesthetics kind of tracked in that way when I was a kid. Now, what I think... Do I think the prequels probably would have looked better if they shot them all in 35mm and used a better blend of CGI and practical effects? I, th- I think so. <laughs> but I also kind of really just appreciate them for what they are in terms of, you know, they were pioneering. They changed the way films are made. I mean... You look at some. There are a lot of films shot digitally now that are almost, you know, indistinguishable from film. Like you look at a movie like *Knives Out* or something. *Knives Out*. I was just gonna say, yeah,
0: the um, yeah, uh, uh, the DP. I forget his name. It's on the tip of my tongue. I feel terrible. Uh, but yeah. he he convinced Ryan Johnson, who wanted to shoot it on thirty five, that he could, yeah. he could make it yeah look indistinguishable. But you don't you don't
1: get to that without the the kind of early versions of that like the rough the the rough around the edges version of that you know and i think um the uh you know i'm sure there's a lot of star wars fans of an older generation who are like okay but don't do that with star wars you know make some other movie that's a experiment with digital filmmaking but, but I kind of, you know, but Star Wars had a certain aesthetic and you should stick to that. But, but my feeling is, you know, it kind of had to be Star Wars. It it had to be something big, you know, with the kind of cachet of Star Wars to really grab the attention and kind of, you know, move, move things forward in that way. Um, so I so agree with you. Kinda, yeah, <laughs>
0: I agree with you 100%. I think you're 100% right.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Uh, My only quibble, um, you know, and we've alluded to this already, but the idea that George Lucas really, his intention was for these films to be watched in the order you watch them, where you watch the prequels, Mm -hmm. the newer movies first, and then you go to the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like some of those aesthetic differences make that transition mm-hmm. not as
1: smooth as it could be and i think that was probably his idea behind the special editions was like all right let's do some stuff Burst to the older, yeah. yeah do some stuff to the older films to make it kind of track a little better make it match up with what we're doing with the new movies and i don't think it quite lands you know as an adult look watching the films i don't think it quite works. I think that a lot of the special edition changes. There are some of them that I like because, and, and we can get into that too, because my first version of Star Wars that I saw was the 2004 DVD version. Oh, versions. right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, well, um, so we so can I've get been... into the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. You finished your thought. Yeah. So I was saying, you know, looking at it now, I can definitely tell that it's a movie from the seventies with 90 CGI sequences kind of pasted into it, but there are certain changes in the special editions that are almost for me kind of just preferred. It's almost like that's how I remember it. So I'm thinking like, you know, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of people who grew up with it, have a lot of fondness for Yub Nub at the end of Return of the Jedi, I've always preferred the special edition version because I, you know, it just, it seemed more like mean, obviously maybe this is less important with the sequel trilogy now, but it seemed like, well, this is a grand ending to the saga, you know, whereas return of the Jedi, it's like, uh, the, the original version, it's kind of like, even if we're just taking it in the context of the original trilogy, like it just, it feels like a very small scale ending for kind of a big story like like it felt a little bit of a mismatch for me um so like there's some changes like that things like um i like the the scene they added between biggs and and luke in the new hope i kind of missed that when i watched the original version um and just to to clarify i've watched like almost every version at this point i've watched fan edits like i know know you talked to hal uh 9000 he's done version and these might actually be i don't know if they're my preferred versions but they're one version that i enjoy watching which is he's kind of done a try to do a best of both worlds approach with taking some of the changes from the special editions and some stuff from the original versions and kind of mashing it together and I can, I enjoy those versions. I enjoy watching the original versions when I want to really see the filmmaking craft and see kind of what they were working with at that time. And I think that's why obviously they should release, they should release the original versions. I mean, I don't think I need to tell you that, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but I, you know, I I just actually I was just at Tanglewood in um, Massachusetts up in the Berkshires where um, they were doing a concert version of The Empire Strikes Back, and they were they were playing the score live um, with the film, and they were using I think it was you know and the, th- the thing is I'm at the point I'm enough of a nerd now where I can track instantly like which version it is like just by the color grade, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. it's like they were they were using the 2011 um version and i, I assume uh, the one with like the the blue sort
0: of yeah, light, yeah. like yeah filter all over it so yeah.
1: and because it was projected on a big it was like outdoors and it was projected on a a big screen It you know it wasn't like a it wasn't like i was watching it in a pristine presentation in a movie theater so the color grading was less of an issue but sure, like um and i, I can only assume that disney just hasn't because I believe they have special versions where the score is not. I mean, I'm not 100 percent on this, but I believe for those kinds of events they use a version where the score is removed um from the film so that they can play the score live. And I assume, yeah, I think so because I
0: think that yeah. that
1: that that probably the music is probably on its
0: own uh, yeah. channel, so you can probably just
1: yeah. And I just assume Disney Disney hasn't. Um, you know mastered a new version of that based on the 2019 release the disney plus version i assume they just haven't uh, gotten around to that yet but it was the 2011 version and i still enjoyed the heck out of it i mean i think empire is probably the least hurt Messless. by some of this sp- yeah <laughs> yeah and there's some changes i can almost split the difference on like i like that ian mcdermott is the emperor um well in the- well you kind of need that uh because, yeah it's
0: like give this movie has any hope of working as the fifth movie you need yeah. in mcdermott in that scene yeah There's you need that, the other version only worked if you've never seen the emperor before yeah. and you're trying to maintain yeah. that sort of air of mystery but if you're sure. if you have any hope of that movie working as a part of the saga you need that change
1: yeah and that's how i feel you know what i think some of the special edition stuff like that like the continuity fixes and stuff I like, I do feel like the execution could be better in some places. Like, for example, the Ian McDermott Emperor, it's very clear that he just, he was on the set of Revenge of the Sith and they just pulled it. they just pulled him aside. Yeah. And same with, you know, Hayden at the end of, so I know this is a really contentious one, but I'll tell you when I was a kid and I watched Return of the Jedi and it was Hayden at the end, I cried. No, that's again,
0: that's another (laughs) one of those changes. That's another one of those changes that, again, I think if you have any hope of this working in that intended order, that's a needed change. Um, How did you feel, just out of curiosity, seeing Sebastian Shaw's face under the mask? Because, like, it seems to me, and I was just watching in the wake of the Obi-Wan show, I think I saw kind of like a face replacement of Hayden Christensen on him in that scene. It's not great.
1: but I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but
0: but the idea though that not seeing his face under that mask in that moment. Yeah.
1: You know, I I kind of accepted it because the thing is, Alec Guinness is also not Ewan McGregor. I mean well, like true. so I, I just I just kind of accepted then, okay, well, this true. guy plays the old version of Anakin Skywalker. And I guess let me reframe
0: the question. So let me reframe the question.
1: Do you accept,
0: do you identify with that man? Do you see that as the
1: same character? I did. When I watched it as a kid, I definitely did. I think, um, I think uh, like it wasn't, it was never unclear to me that that was Anakin, you know? And obviously they did some minor changes. Like they they took his eyebrows off to try to, Right. Make it and change the color of his eyes to kind of make it match Hayden, so yeah, I, I didn't have any trouble buying that. When I watch it now, I'm kind of like, okay, this is what, uh, 25 years after Revenge of the Sith, I'm like, this guy is very old, and <laughs> Hayden was was not well. So, well, the same thing with uh, Alec Guinness
0: and you and McGregor, yeah, it's like, oh,
1: those, uh, those twin those, sons age you twice as fast yeah. Although, <laughs> someone pointed out to me that you know. Looking at the Obi Wan Kenobi series, Al Guinness is actually the correct age. Like he's, um, he was like in, I believe, his late 50s or early 60s when they filmed yeah, the Yeah, I think New he was like,
0: I think, I think it was like
1: 57. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and even McGregor's, you know, you know, in his late 40s now, I think. And he was, I think he, I think he might be 50. Yeah and he was yeah. 30 in his 30s when yeah he was in his 30s when Revenge of the Sith came out so like it it tracks actually it's just that Alec Guinness looks like a super old guy regardless of this like yeah, well, what his actual age well, was well well yeah well so back in the day people used to look
0: older yeah. and now it's like with like you know skincare yeah. and surgery I've, like like everyone looked like a
1: that was funny like to me equal. where they were um it was fun i enjoyed the obi-wan kenobi series a lot despite i loved that. A, I thought it was great yeah i mean it probably could have been a movie like i'll say that but i but i think for what we got i i really enjoyed it and but one Dang. thing that def, definitely stood out to me was leia making like a bunch of comments about like how obi-wan looks like this decrepit old guy and i'm like I'm like that's Ewan McGregor. Like he looks, he looks stunning. Like he like, looks don't... younger. He, he he looks younger he, than I do. <laughs> yeah, he looks. He looks younger. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He looks. He looks wonderful. So I'm like, how dare you, laugh? But well, like, clearly they were trying to kind of harmonize it with with uh, his depiction in the original trilogy. So. To kind of just like oh he's old like you can you'll have to tell me he's older because i don't see it <laughs> you know? um but uh yeah
0: well so i have a couple of questions for you uh based on some some things you said um you said there are some things in the prequel that kind of pull you out when you watch it now mm-hmm. uh, i'm curious what
1: a couple of those things might be um one is I feel like there's, especially in the, I mean, it's in all three, but it's especially hits me in the in the first two, is there's a lot of tonal mismatch in the prequels, um, where I felt like the the original trilogy has a pretty consistent tone. I mean, obviously Empire is darker than A New Hope, but it, but it all kind of tracks. Whereas the prequels, and I, I think this was just kind of George being a little goofy and then wanting to put homages in to to things that he liked so we have the the diner in uh, attack of the clones or we have the two-headed announcer in phantom menace right so like some of those things feel like okay that doesn't really feel like part of the the star wars world the world that he's created it feels like something from our world that he's kind of plucked and put a direct analog in there that- so i that's a good
0: point yeah
1: yeah so those kind of take me out a little bit some of the humor especially in phantom menace like it's not as bad in the other two but um i actually like some of the humor in the prequels I i think um it depends on the actor i think ewan mcgregor especially does a good job George gives him a lot of cheesy kind of one-liners, but he's just, he's so charismatic that I feel like they just kind of land. I I just kind of enjoy Obi-Wan's kind of snarkiness. I think um, the Jar Jar of it all and that stuff, you know, doesn't land as well for me now. You know, as a kid, I was like, okay, whatever. You know, it's a comic relief character. I don't really love it, but it's like, it doesn't take me out of the movie. Whereas now I'm like, okay, you know, you could have approached that differently. And also there's kind of an element, um, that a lot of people have rightfully brought up, Of and I, again, I think this is George just kind of referencing the paying homage to the things that he, he liked from older films, but there is kind of like a racial element to some of the characters, yeah. the alien characters in the Phantom Menace that yeah, yeah, is I mean, uncomfortable.
0: The... Yeah. Yeah, like the Nemoidians kind of feel like they're like, you know, Fu Manchu villains out of like a Charlie yeah. Chan film mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, yeah. like, and, um, you know, Watto kind of feels like an uncomfortable, like, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. Jewish or Middle Eastern stereotype. Yeah. But uh, my real belief is that these are homages to things that he loves. But the problem with just straight up, you know, yeah. referencing something you love that was a product of another culture, you're also bringing along with it all of the the implicit you know cultural attitude so without looking at those things with a critical eye you you are you are inadvertently perpetuating those same stereotypes without realizing that that's what you're doing so when he says it's not racist i believe him but when i hear someone who is a member of one of those groups see it and they say it is racist they are also correct do you think, do you think that there's so little Jar Jar in Attack of the Clones? Do you think that's the result of the fan reaction to the character from the Phantom Menace? Or do you think that, you know, George Lucas was like, okay, we did that. And now the story's gone somewhere else.
1: I think it might be a mix of factors. I mean, I, I'm sure George Lucas definitely heard the, the fan, you know, you couldn't miss the fan reaction. So I do think maybe there was an element of that. I also think it was just a very different type of story. I mean... The Phantom Menace, um, it's very much about, it's, it's a very like, you know, the movie kind of has a childlike feel to it because it's about a child. I mean, it's like, um, you know, I actually, you know, a lot of people like to think of some of the decisions that George has made in the prequels, um, you know, and and again, to talk a little bit about kind of my evolution in my relationship with the prequels, I I had a period in, um, it, I would say about in college, you know, my, um, late teens, early twenties when I, I, you know, I kind of, um, swallowed the line that the prequels are, are just garbage. They're just, um, you know, there, there's nothing worthwhile. Like, I, I think that was around the time where the, the, uh, red letter media oh, blanket, blanket Plinket. Reviews came out, and you know, I was uh, a I was an impressionable film student, and I I'm like, wow, these critiques are like so smart, and like I'm gonna be smart and not like these movies, and so I, I honestly feel bad. I think I was a bit insufferable <laughs> with that. We at all time. we
0: all we all are at that age. You have to make yeah. no
1: apologies. Um, uh, the plinket the pl- the effect of those
0: blanket videos on the conventional wisdom. About the quality of those films, I think cannot be understated. Because what's so interesting to me is that he does make a lot of valid observations. He does, but but the vitriol and the entitlement. Yeah, you know, which again, like, like is like he is he's literally playing a character. So I get exactly, that yeah. So I it's get that, played it's, up. yeah, yeah. So I get that it's like a part of the whole shtick. But but it's just so mean spirited.
1: Yeah, it's uncharitable. That, there, there yeah, isn't. Yeah, there, yeah it's yeah, uncharitable. The, there isn't even really an attempt to kind of interrogate or explore like what George was trying to do with the movies. It's just kind of like, and that—that's that's something I have struggled with with a lot of the prequel criticism. Is I think it's you know there's a lot of problems with those movies, and it totally makes sense to point them out. I think some things some decisions george made people attribute to incompetence that were very intentional and like so for example something like making Anakin a child in the first movie that's something that a lot of people are like why like there's no reason to do that like why would they do that why do i want to see but i know there's the famous Patton oswald um uh Stand up routine and I, I love Patton Oswalt, but like where he's kind of like, I don't want to, why would I want to see Darth Vader as a baby? Why would I want to see Boba Fett as a baby? Like what is, you know, and I, I think what he was trying to do was, and I think it, it's all said in that poster of epi- that poster of episode one, that's it's Anakin standing, uh, a uh, kid, Anakin on Tatooine. And you've got the shadow of Darth Vader kind of looming up, um, yeah. behind him. I think he's trying to show that even like the worst villains, even the scariest villains, like they were just kids too. You know, they were, you know, they were, j- he was just a kid, you know, and that it's kind of like trying to add depth or dimensionality in some way. And it's like, yeah, it's like, nobody's born evil. You know, you, you're, a, you start out yeah. when you're a kid, like every other kid. And I, th- I think that's what he was trying to say. And I think even with Boba Fett, Absolutely. he was trying to say something similar of like, you know, He's this grizzled bounty hunter, but he got that way because, you know, he lost his father and he was kind of, you know, raised on the streets kind of thing. I, I I, think he was, you know, he was trying to, you know, give, you know, these some of these characters that were very cool, but not super dimensional, um, trying to kind of make, give this kind of a sense that, you know, they came... They 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 weren't always that way. They they started the same way as as any other kid, you know. And I I appreciate that message, even though you know I think it would have worked better if, you know. And I don't I don't want to you know make I, I don't want to say anything ill of Jake Lloyd because he was a child and he was doing the best. I'm sure he was doing exactly what George asked him to do. But I I do think with a better perform a better if they had a really good child performance there. I think that totally could have worked. Like like I, I think I agree with you. Uh, there's actually an
0: interesting um I think it's a New York Times video where I don't know if you recall so on the beginning documentary on the Phantom Menace DVD, they show the screen tests of the three finalists for Anakin Skywalker. And there was one of them who I think they even showed like it was between him and Jake Lloyd and they were talking about the pros and cons. And obviously they went with Jake Lloyd. But this New York Times video caught up with the other kid today. And you know, it was just a really fascinating like now knowing what the movie was and what Jake yeah. Lloyd went through. It was like a really interesting video. Maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. I think
1: I think George knew to a certain extent that he was he wanted to play up Anakin as this kind of like cherubic little boy. Like he was yeah. He was supposed to be a little over the top. He's kind of this idealized version of a little kid. And while yeah. it, I don't think it totally works in the film, like, I don't think it was an accident. That, that, that's... It was not an accident. No, it was definitely
0: yeah. very intentional. There are, there are two things I think if you take out of the movie would make it work so, so much better. The yippee mm-hmm. and the... um the lines where it seems like when Anakin blows up the trade federation ship at the end are yeah completely accidental I think you can leave it exactly
1: the same but have it
0: seem like he knows what he's doing
1: yeah and that's why honestly so and you know I've alluded to original trilogy.com and fan edit I think and you spoke with Hal previously I I think a lot of fan edits have done that, and it's testament that it works. It works well. It works a lot better when when you make those changes. I I think um, you know, I made my own fan edits and that are ba- heavily based on on howls with some other changes from other edits. And I, you know, I, I'm kind of like growing out of love with my own edits because as I get older, I kind of like start to appreciate these movies more for what they were. Like. Mm-hmm. I like, I like that Hal's edits are more, he's like, he's going in with the scalpel. Like he's very, exactly. he leaves, he yeah. leaves, he leaves more of it sort of intact. Yeah. The changes that he makes are very, like, they all have a very specific purpose. Um, whereas when I was doing my edits, a lot of times I was like, oh, that dialogue makes me cringe. I'm just gonna, you know, obviously I made sure that, um, you know, that the film works and makes sense. But it, but it does feel a little cut you know, down to the bone a little bit. And I think the the way Hal kinda of leaves a little more there is merit to that in that it feels more like a film you know, it, it feels more like a a film Like a George release. Lucas film.
0: Like yeah you know, like to go back a second to you were talking about some of the the tonal weirdness in Phantom Menace especially and like some of the humor is a little like yeah. it's a little is a little questionable. But that's I mean, that's George Lucas. Yeah. He has an idiosyncratic sense of humor. He's a goofy guy. Yeah. And like, I understand why some people cringe at certain moments, but for better or worse, like, this is his movie. This is him. You're seeing him on the screen. So, so the reason, like, to reiterate what you just said. I like how Hal leaves in certain lines or certain moments that a lot of other fan editors will cut. cut size. Yeah. Uh, because it retains that character that the movie has. And I appreciate yeah. that. Like, again, as someone, you know, growing older and I view movies in mm-hmm. a different way and I am more aware of context, I'm more appreciative actually of seeing things that are unique that I mm-hmm. haven't seen anywhere else or I can't see anywhere else. And I think one of the strengths of star wars and and again, sometimes it doesn't work, but um one of the things I love about Star Wars is how it can it's it's so elastic the way that yeah. it can. Uh, You know, on the one hand, it can be hilarious. It can be goofy. It can be Mm it can be very, very emotional and very serious. And it's like a movie. It's a movie about the dangers of democracies becoming fascist empires with fart jokes. Like, what is there? What is there to dislike about that?
1: (laughs) I I think I think right so. Got to stand, my man Ryan Johnson. I think he put it really well, and I he's had a tweet. I, I forget how exactly he phrased it, but he's like, "I know the tweet." Asked, I was just riffing yeah, on it.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. i Asked him what he thinks of the Star Wars prequels, and it's like George made a seven-hour movie about the dangers of of fascism of sliding into fascism for children, and like I think that's totally true. And that see, that's one of the things I really appreciate about the prequel trilogy. That I think. Especially the Force Awakens, I feel like they took some of the wrong lessons, in my opinion. From the, and I enjoy the Force Awakens. I think it's a really good cover band. Like, like I've, I, yeah. I think it's a, it's a really, really well made homage to the original trilogy and the original Star Wars, um, more specifically, but. I think J.J. J. Abrams was very afraid of touching anything, you know, and obviously you have to think about what the climate around Star Wars fandom was in 2015 or even 2014, 2013, when they were like conceptualizing and producing this is like he he didn't want to touch the prequels with a 10 foot pole. I mean, there's like some oblique references to it, like you have a, a mention of clone armies and clone a mention of sit. A mention of the Sith somewhere, but that that's yeah. still, honestly, that that's even more, like, a lot of that stuff was in early drafts so or the novelizations of the original trilogy, so, like, I don't even really count that as a prequel reference. Uh, I think um, he wanted to make... There's a whole generation of fans who are, like, very jaded, you know, very put off by the prequels, and he wanted to make Star Wars that, you know, would bring those fans back and felt like kind of a warm blanket. So I don't, like, I don't... Um, Fault him for that, but I do feel like you know one thing is like the politics. Like to me, Star Wars has always been political, and it's one it of is, the things. It is
0: inherently political. Yeah, it's, it's a very political thing, story.
1: It's a yeah, very political. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If you listen to George talk about it, it's you know I I don't know if you've heard the interview he did with James Cameron on his no, the rebels uh, are the
0: Viet Cong, the Empire
1: is the United yeah, States. Exactly. Like it's, a very, it's a very political. It's very quality. political. Yeah, yeah. and. I, I think with, and it's funny because fans are always like, oh, the sequel trilogy, they made it political. I'm like, The Force Awakens is probably one of the least political Star Wars films yeah. in my well, opinion. Because he, he consciously, he wanted to feel like, you know, warm and fuzzy. He he veered away, you know, you have the Senate getting blown up, but you don't really have any context for it. You don't have any context for the universe the the stain of the galaxy or kind of like what is this precise relationship between the resistance and the republic what and... even is the resistance yeah exactly like, what he are they of... resisting where yeah it's, he... it's like
0: so you're hitting on something that is you know again i do not fault jj abrams at all like his job <laughs> the job of the force awakens was to, mm-hmm. to demonstrate that they could still make star wars movies that felt like the old the old movies that yeah. And to re win over the yeah. the goodwill that was sort of arguably lost. But the problem for me with the sequel trilogy that I think I prefer the prequel trilogy in this regard is that the sequel
1: trilogy isn't about anything. Here's what I would say to that. I, I think I think the only film in the sequel trilogy that is The Last Jedi yeah that it's in conversation with the story george lucas was telling the sixth film story he was telling is the last jedi because i feel like it's the only one that kind of picks up on the themes that the prequels were even putting down because like one thing that i love about the prequels that a lot of older fans might have been put off by is that the jedi are not so great they're like you know they're bureaucrats. they you know, he took obviously the Jedi have always been influenced by real world religion, and he kind of took the aspect of and not not to call out any specific religion, but like if you think of something like the Catholic Church, like it's very bureaucratic, it's very large. It, you know it, it's a it's almost like a state in and of itself. And I think what George was trying to say with the Jedi is kind of they became complacent. they became you know, they became part of the problem. and I think, you know, a lot of people have an issue with yoda's characterization and it's kind of like well and i think dave filoni talk you know kind of had talks um about this too and like his kind of series with the clone wars and all that kind of goes into this war but like yoda was kind of drinking the kool-aid and he was kind of caught up in this and i think he slowly you know when he's that character in empire strikes back that says wars not make one great i think he's speaking from experience he's not You know he's not a static character he's a character who kind of learns from the experience of the prequel trilogy and you know maybe it's not all there in the text maybe it's it's a little bit subtext i think george could have maybe been more clear in how he communicated some of these themes but i don't i don't i like that they're there and i like that ryan johnson picked up on that and he was like well we're gonna have luke disillusioned with the jedi we're gonna have him you know, saying the things that that fans might have been saying about about the Jedi and the prequel trilogy, and you know, I've always appreciated that. Me too. That is
0: actually yeah. what what really surprised me. It actually still really surprises me because of, because I read it the same way you did. I saw what what mm-hmm. Luke was saying up in that scene that you're referring to, where he's talking to Ray, and he's essentially like, "Did you know that the Jedi like were X, Y, and Z, and blah, blah, blah?"
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: uh, the way that I read that scene was like Luke was the Star Wars fans who grew up on the original trilogy then saw the prequels and saw what the Jedi mm-hmm. actually were and he yeah. was bummed about it. That movie is him and the fans rediscovering that there's still good there and they got to re-fall in love with it. I mean, that was yeah, my read.
1: I No, I think that's a very good and accurate read. I, I would say, though, that I do think I do think that was there was some intentionality. I think when George did that in the prequels, you know, you might say like that, that's a happy accident that Ryan Johnson picked up on and turned it into something. I, I would push back against that. I would say I think that intentionality was there in the prequels to show, you know, the Jedi is complicit and show the Jedi is fallible and bureaucratic. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I think maybe it was different than what fans expected. And and one thing I did want to talk about is kind of watching the films in one through six order versus watching the original trilogy first and kind of how the story kind of reads differently is I think I don't necessarily, so I will, I will disclose if I were to introduce someone to star Wars for the first time. I would have them watch the original trilogy first even though that's not the way that, that I grew up with it why because I think there are aspects of those films I want well, the main thing is I think a new hope is a better introduction to the Star Wars universe than the phantom menace I think the phantom menace can be an off putting movie for a lot of people and I don't I kind of it's kind of like an idea of like put the best put forward is sure. one of the reasons and then the other reason is that you know, I do think to some extent, you know, and I don't think I think George was trying to kind of have his cake and eat it too. He wanted to have it so there's additional context to the prequels. If you've seen the original trilogy first, but also a kid watching him one through six can watch them in that order and it'll work as well. Yeah. And I think it mostly works, but I think there are some things like, for example, just what the force is, like that's explained really succinctly and beautifully in a new hope and doesn't really get or like what a Jedi is like that stuff is not really. You're just kind of thrust into it, which, you know, has kind of, you know, it's pros and cons, but I, I guess it's just, I think a new hope works better as an introduction to the star Wars universe. I almost wish I, I, well, it's almost my preferred way to show them would be watch the original trilogy first, then watch the prequels, then watch the original trilogy again after <laughs> having watched the prequels. And because there are certain aspects of the original trilogy that I actually enjoyed more because of having seen the prequels, I think. Like what, as an example? Well, I I think I just connect more to you know and you know people. You gonna have any things you want to say about you know Hayden Christensen? Or, I I think he's a great actor. I think he is not given the best you know dialogue or direction to work with. I think George just wasn't really concerned with that, and I. I, yeah. you know, that's fine. That's what the movie he was making. But if you watch a movie like Shattered Glass, I think. Yeah, no, he's great. Uh, Hayden Christensen is a good actor. And I think even if you watch the Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, he's great in Kenobi. Yeah, he's great. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but I think even regardless of, of that, or, or I think just having seen the downfall and having seen that character evolve, there was just more weight. You know, when, um, obviously it ruins the twist on from um fun, fun. Darth Vader is Luke's father, but it almost turns like kind of the situational irony into dramatic irony. It's kind of like now, right. you know, he's his father, but he doesn't know that. So right. you're kind of like, oh, like, when is he going to find out? You know, what, how is he going to find out? So that there is still kind of like, a it does work. It just works differently. Um, if you're not, uh, Luke isn't as much an audience surrogate. You're you're looking at it from a more omniscient kind of perspective right and um i think that work you know it worked for me as a kid i think it works it just is different you know i think also if we're being real um if i'm going to introduce a friend or, or anybody to star wars they probably know that darth Vader is luke's father even if they've never seen a star wars movie i think there's this kind of it's such a pop cultural touchstone i i think the the kind of platonic ideal of they're gonna watch the original movies and they're gonna they're gonna be surprised by the twists. I just think it's yeah not like something that, that yeah can... that's out the window. Yeah, the other yeah. thing
0: too, uh, the other thing too is that I do think that that twist is really oversignified in terms of like like the shock value of it is is sort of beside mm-hmm. the point. Like it's not supposed to be like yeah. a gotcha, well, but but and... but because of the the huge effect it had in popular mm-hmm. culture, like it kind of became that when it's like, you yeah. know, really uh, what it really is, is this character learning the worst thing he could possibly.
1: Exactly. Learn. Which is why also raised parents should have stayed as Been nobody. nobody because <laughs> that's the worst thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: We're um, on uh, the same page when it comes to, to the last yeah, Jedi and uh, what yeah. it was trying
1: to do. Yeah. So I think even if you go, you watch the prequels first and then you watch the original trilogy, I I think it still works because the original trilogy, they're just really solid movies. And because I think a great twist or a great plot point, it works not just because it's a surprise for the audience, but because it resonates with the characters and and kind of what they're, what they're going through. So, and I think that works, you know, the, the, I am your father that works, whether you know it or not, because it's it's what it means to Luke in that moment, like you were saying, so exactly exactly and um, and there are kind of like dimensions, so specifically, I'm thinking of new hope when i when I've watched the prequels first, there are definitely things that read differently than if you watch a New Hope and that's your first movie, and you don't know anything else about Star Wars, like for example, like when Owen says. You know, he's afraid that he has too much of his father in of mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, I, you know, that, that kind of reads different, you know, versus like when you're first watching the film, when it first came out, you might think, oh, you know, he's just, his father was reckless. So, like, he yeah, like was, he's going to like, he, he's yeah. going to be like a spice runner or something. Yeah. But now it's like, it's much more ominous, you know, it's kind yeah. of like, um, And, uh, I think of Obi-Wan, you know, and I, I know a lot of people feel like, oh, the Clone Wars, it was best when, you know, we didn't know anything about them. But I, I like, you know, for me, when Obi-Wan is kind of reminiscing about the past, I kind of like having that added layer of like, as an audience, kind of knowing, you know, what happened and kind of thinking back to the character played by Ewan McGregor, who's so, you know, he's great and he's, um... You know, he, he kind of channels Alec Guinness so well and and kind of thinking about his adventures. I'm, I'm a big... So I'll tell you what kind of was my kind of prequel. You know, what the prequels were for the original trilogy fans, surprisingly, that's what the CGI Clone Wars series was for me when it first came out. I, when I saw that and I saw they gave Anakin a Padawan, I was like, what it... Like, I'm like, this isn't... You know, because here's the the thing. I was a big fan of the Gendi Tarkovsky Yeah, 2D. dude, those, those were great. Those were great. Yeah, so that was actually, you know, I actually had watched those before I saw Revenge of the Sith. So to me, yeah, me I too. Was a, as much as I enjoyed Revenge of the Sith and it's my favorite prequel, I was a little let down with General Grievous because I'm like, hold on. Like, this guy is kind of like, he's in the micro series. He's this kind of, um, you know, like, Alien meets predator. He's this kind of like badass Jedi yeah, hunting he's, he's machine terrifying. force of nature. Yeah. And in the movie, you know, he's kind of like the, you know, the mustache twirly villain who ties the lady up on the railroad tracks, you know, with he's, like a hacking cough. <laughs> yeah. Who's like, and I get what George was going. He was, George decided to take the character in a different direction. And, you know, it's not like it is now with Disney where like everything's so carefully manage so that everything lines up. George, you know, he had his movies and he would let, you know, he, he saw the value in expanding the universe. Obviously he saw the value in in invest fan investment, but for his story that he was telling, he didn't care, you know, he he didn't care what any derivative stuff was doing, you know? So he gave them the concept art of Grievous and was just kind of like go nuts. And then he ended up doing something different with character. So. Um, but as a kid that kind of bothered me cause I'm like, this is not the same. You know, I was looking forward to seeing this guy in a movie in live action and it was not what I was expecting. But, uh, anyway, yeah, back to the, the CGI clone wars when that first started. Yeah. I was like, this looks really childish. It looks really goofy. Why is, uh, and can have a paddle one that doesn't make sense. They wouldn't trust him with a paddle one. And I just wrote it off completely and I never watched it for, for a long time. I'm like, this isn't for, this clearly isn't for me. I, to me, the clone wars micro series is like too, it's too close to my heart. I can't accept that this seems to be retconning that completely. So I just didn't watch it for a long time. And it wasn't until, um, I think when the series was all on Netflix, this was before everything moved over to Disney plus. I, yeah. I was hearing a lot of good things about it. This was before season seven came out. It was when, um, you know, it had been canceled by Disney. It had been canceled. Yeah. Yeah. So I was hearing uh, good things about it. And I'm like, all right, maybe I need to give this another chance and like watch it with fresh eyes. And I really love that series. I, you know, I think it's really like the prequels, it is very rocky sometimes. There are certain episodes that are like, what are we even doing? But then there are other episodes that to me, and again, I'm talking to someone too, who like animation, like to me, a movie is a movie, right. And it's no less star Wars because it's animation to me. So I, there's some moments in that series that are like up there with any star, like they're, they're some of the highlights of star Wars for me. So, you know, I've it's heard a, a lot of.
0: I've heard a lot of people say that and I'm going to make an embarrassing confession that it will probably turn off a lot of people from ever listening to this podcast. Again, aside from a handful of episodes, I've not seen the Clone Wars series.
1: That's okay. I mean, (laughs) I tried Um, to get, I tried to get my friend into it. Um, who is also eight. I mean, she's not, you know, she's not maybe as big a star Wars fan now because the rise of Skywalker, we had very similar kind of thoughts on the last Jedi and, the rise of skywalker was kind of a big turnoff for both of us but it kind of broke her more than me and i've tried to get her to watch the clone wars as way of like hey maybe this will get you back into star wars this was before mandalorian and some of the new series coming out and she just could not get through the first couple seasons it's rough it's a it's rough the the clone wars movie that they you know again silly uh, you know crazy george lucas idea he just released a couple episodes of a tv series cut together and put it in right. mo- put it in a movie theater yeah it's it's rough it, you know it's worse than any of the prequel films <laughs> i mean it's would you um, suggest
0: so so hypothetically speaking if i were to try to watch the show would you suggest that i watch it in order and just try to uh to get um, out for those first rocky seasons or is there like a preferred oh because i know that like the episodes are sort of all over the timeline right it's not like yeah
1: so here's yeah. my thing i recommend i i believe i just watched it in the air date order but i would actually recommend the chronological order um yeah. which you can find online and i sure. think that's because some of it was production stuff was reasons why certain episodes was air were aired later so I oh don't is that true that- yeah, I'm not sure. I know they did go back to earlier arcs and add more stuff, but I think it was always with the intent. I, I believe, I'm not... You know, Dave Filoni has said, Clone Wars, you can just kind of pick and choose which ones you want to watch. And, and I think that's, you know, be, and I think that's true to a certain extent, but I do think there is kind of like an evolution to the characters that you miss if you don't watch, you know, if you don't watch certain parts, you know, because maybe they're rougher than other parts. I think... um I recommend the chronological order. And I think, you know, it's definitely intent, you know, there's nothing about it that's not intended. Like it's not like the prequels where you, it's a very different experience. It's just kind of like, it just, it's just less jarring to watch it in the chronological order, in my opinion. So now in terms of like a, an abridged viewing guide or, or something like that, I made one a while back, uh, in terms of like what episodes I think you can safely skip, et cetera. But honestly, I would, you know, in the spirit of George Lucas, I would recommend just watching through it, you know, just not liking the stuff you don't like and uh, liking the stuff you like. I, I, think, I agree with that. That's my style too. Like if I'm going to watch a show yeah. or a movie series, I just want to watch yeah. it all the way that it
0: came out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that that's why, even though I've made my own fan edits and I really like other fan edits like Hal's, when I'm going to show somebody Star Wars for the first time, I'm I'm showing them the original version, you know. I'm showing them the films as the filmmaker intended it, because I well, in terms of as the filmmaker, at least as the filmmaker intended it, at some point, because I don't know if I'm going to show them the special editions, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, but I'm I'm going to show them. You know, I I don't want. You know, I feel like even if a fan edit is more effective, and if like hypothetically, if that was the movie released in theaters, maybe we would have all liked it a little more. I I think. You have to you know a film is still you know, regardless of how commercial it is or whatever, it's a piece of art created by a filmmaker, and you should kind of you should view the the piece of art as they created it first before you want and fan edits are more like what I would do on a rewatch or like as an, as an alternative version, um but it's I like not, that. yeah plus yeah, I, I like think that. it puts you on the same when it comes to the conversation and the discourse around the movies it puts you off on the wrong foot because you've watched a different version than like 99% of people have watched. So it it kind of, right. um, so like certain details will be different. So like if, if someone's talking about how Padme, you know, died at the end of Revenge of the Sith and you're like, wait a minute, I watched the Howl 9000 version. Right. Right. She, you know, like, I, I think it's important to have a baseline for what the films were before you, you know, as, as I love fan edits and I think it's a really cool community. And I, you know, I am kind of, I don't really want to say initially death of the author, but like, you know, I do feel like once a piece of media is put out into the universe, the you audience control over it. Don't yeah. You. The yeah. audience can kind of do whatever they want with it. But the thing is the original version is still, is still the version. And that's the version that I would show to somebody if I was showing them the first time. So I um, agree. I- I respect that uh, a lot.
0: I think you're. I think you're right on the
1: money. Yeah, and that's how I feel about Clone Wars. Um, I mean, so there is. I will say, um, going back to OriginalTrilogy.com, there is a fan edit. Se- someone's doing a really ambitious fan edit series of the entire series, which like is kind of like blows my mind that somebody would fan edit. You know, six seasons of a television show. You mean they're making like one. Long film out no, of no 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 they are they are reconceptual some episodes are combined others are not oh. like they're re they're reconceptualizing it as I think a, f- a shorter number of seasons and with like hour long episodes like they're recutting it into a total they're basically they they've been so uh, the creator is somebody who goes by the name of Eddie Dean on FanEdit. Uh, sorry, on originaltrilogy.com, and it's called I think Clone Wars Refocused. And basically, he's trying to conceptualize it in a style, in a um, kind of a content style, much closer to something like The Mandalorian, where like the oh, episodes okay. are hmm. the episodes are on like as long as they need to be. Um, yeah. you know, whereas Clone Wars was very much a 30 minute. Uh, your 20, 22 minute, whatever, you know, with commercials for Cartoon Network, he's kind of reconceptualized it as a as a different kind of thing. He's changed like the opening and the outro credits to like really just change the tone. And like he makes lots of cuts. He combines episodes. And it, the idea is really because there's so much fluff and there's so much what what people call. You know, I, I'm not a super fan of the term all the time, but like filler, there's a lot of filler episodes. So like... Yeah, I'm not a fan of that term. Yeah, but but it, so the idea is really like if somebody will sit down with you and watch the whole series, you could show them this as yes. kind of like, this is what you need to kind of like... Because obviously with the stuff Dave Filoni is doing now with The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, and now especially this Ahsoka series that's coming out, Clone Wars and rebels are like foundational to some of the, you know, like yeah, the whole yeah, character of us. Yeah, for, for sure. That's why
0: I am seriously contemplating trying to yeah. find the time in my life to watch those series yeah. because I am interested in, in seeing Ahsoka. Yeah.
1: And it I was saying out. it's so fun. My re, my initial reaction to the Clone Wars series is so funny because like the biggest sticking point for me was Ahsoka. And it, it wasn't from like, you know, I know certain people, you know, obviously there's gross elements of the Star Wars fa- fandom who are like, oh, a girl in Star Wars. Like it was never no, yeah. that. It was never that, but it was kind of like. Know, yeah, this, you don't strike me as that
0: kind of guy. So, yeah, so, but I appreciate kind of like, that, uh, the disclaimer.
1: Yeah, wrapping my head around the idea that Anakin had a paddle on between episodes two and three that we'd never heard about in the movies. Like it was almost like a bridge too far for me at the time. And sure. but after I watched the series, to me, the character of Ahsoka is essential to Star Wars and essential to, um, the, uh, the, even the, the arc of the prequel trilogy, like, wow. even though she's, even though she's not in the films, so much of her relationship with Anakin, like informs that character in a way that it was almost in a way, a little, I don't want to say do over, but like, a, it adds a lot more shading to the character. Like if something like the relationship with Padme. Or even the relationship with Obi-Wan, which mostly works for me, although there are issues with it in the, in the prequel trilogy, Ahsoka is kind of like another anchor for that character to kind of, to really land that, that theme of him being, having a hard time letting go of things, you know? And, and that's like kind of a, a constant with his character in the prequel trilogy is that he has, he gets attached, he gets attached to people. and Yeah, that's the reason for his downfall yeah. ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that's a good, you know, And I kind of subscribe to the belief with my philosophy of Star Wars. And I think it's the one that that resonates with me is that attachment that, the, you know, the Jedi were wrong to totally cut off attachments, but there has to be a balance. Like, I, am you know, I'm a yeah. big fan of the idea of balance and that there needs to be balance in anything. And, you know, the, the spiritual aspects of the Jedi and, and the kind of philosophical aspects have always interested me. And the the way I kind of see it is again, the main why I vibe so much with The Last Jedi is um is you know that it's about balance and it's about um, you know, not this kind of rigid dogmatic view, not to use the same words that Palpatine uses in Revenge of the Sith, but it's no, kind of no, but no, but that's um, the thing though. Yeah. But that's the thing that I yeah.
0: appreciated about that because that he's, he's not wrong. wrong. Yeah, he's yes. not
1: wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, the sip of the, the where he is wrong is that you know, the Sith are no better. at either the Sith are worse, but, like, the, the yeah, Jedi like, are, like, you know? Like,
0: <laughs> like, context matters. Like, intent matters. Yeah. Like, you know, it's interesting what you just said because my, yeah. my sort of read of where the Jedi Order went wrong and where we find them during the time of the prequel movies is that, uh, you know, uh, they're heavily influenced, obviously, by Buddhist philosophy of the real world and all yeah. sorts of... So I feel like the Jedi realized that that attachment, an unhealthy attachment is one of the things that will lead one to go to the dark side. And as with any large institution, what Mm -hmm. their solution was, okay, well, we'll just make no one allowed to have any attachments and we don't have to worry about that ever happening, right? But then what they did was they created the sort of emotionally, uh, these ill-equipped, kind of inhuman weirdos that when a problem was staring them right in the face. Like, uh, one of my favorite scenes in Revenge of the Sith is when Anakin goes to Yoda and he's basically asking for help. He's like, help me. Like, I'm having all these like dreams. And all Yoda can say is, you have to train yourself to not be afraid of losing what you love. Yeah, And that is not helpful. Yoda is not meeting Anakin where he is. He doesn't have the tools to help Anakin. And it's so interesting because in that scene, that scene is Anakin. He's, he's asking for help. He's like, I have a problem Mm to help me something bad. is happening. I need help.
1: And the Jedi are totally ill-equipped to do anything about it. Exactly. And I think to me, and that's a feature, not a bug, you know, it's, it's, um, yes, Yoda, you might say, why is Yoda so cold? He's such a warm character in the original trilogy. I I think to me, it totally makes sense. It shows the progression of that character and that he kind of lost sight maybe of what what it was all really about. And I I think, um, yeah, and that's why I love The Last Jedi, too, is because it picks up on that theme and it kind of like posits, you know, maybe there's a third path kind of thing. where. And it also um,
0: reiterates that he learned something that he was trying to impart to Luke in Empire. And then yeah. that scene with the two of them in front of the burning fire is when it really crystallized mm-hmm. it. like the journey that Yoda yeah. went on.
1: Yeah. That scene, yeah, that scene is one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars and Dang. it's be- it's because that's what it's all about, especially watching the Kenobi series recently too. It's like, you know, Yoda he Yoda failed, Kenobi failed and then Luke fails, but it's it's okay. They you know they they pick up the pieces they they kind of learn from their mistakes and they impart onto the next generation and hopefully they'll be able to pick up the mantle and make things a little better and that's why to me if there is a theme an overarching theme to the sequel trilogy it's kind of the idea of the cyclical nature of um you know cuz it may be a happy accident like force awakens just kind of reestablished a lot of the same um entities that kind of exist new versions of the same entities that existed in um the original trilogy you know with the first order and the resistance but but i think last jedi kind of turns that into like um you know it's kind of like it's it's commenting on kind of the way things kind of um happen in cycles luke failed the same way that yoda and obi-wan kind of failed him to a certain extent and um, so, so I, I, to me that kind of resonates and to me, Last Jedi is kind of about breaking that cycle, you know, and it's kind of about, um, you know, how every generation, you know, is going to be a little better than the last and, and kind of learn from the mistakes of the last generation I don't know that that was always really resonated with me and that that's why to me, the prequels too of our, even if there's a lot about them that doesn't work, especially you know, Phantom Menace and clones, they're essential Star Wars to me because to me, a lot of those, they strengthen a lot of those those themes come from reading it as one big story, you know. Um, totally. Whereas yeah. it, yeah, and, you know, I think I definitely recommend Clone Wars because I think in its best moments, it kind of captures a lot of the same themes and it adds a lot of, you know... It adds a lot of, dim- I don't know if dimensionality is the right word, maybe more like emotionality to Anakin to just as a character that I just feel for him so much more than when watching the the saga films where he, you know, he really, I think they're, it's fair to say that the Anakin character didn't quite land maybe the way Lucas wanted him to for a lot of people in the prequel Hmm. trilogy, that that they didn't find him sympathetic or they didn't find him, um, you know, relatable. And, you know, I think he wants, Lucas wants you to feel really awful when he turns to the dark side, you know, you want to feel for him. And I think you do to a certain extent, but I think some of the stuff in clones, it, it doesn't, you know, there's this tendency of in clones, I feel like, and this is why it's one of my lesser Star Wars films is this idea that he was kind of a bad seed, like that he's kind yeah. of already exhibiting these kind of like, um, this tendency, you know, like to me, the, a big mistake in the prequel trilogy is, is when he confesses um, slaughtering the Tuscans to Padme and yeah. she just kind of, yeah. and you could kind you of gets, it up. Yeah, yeah. you could say it's making a commentary about toxic relationship, you know, and that, that's the charitable way to read it is like how in a toxic relationship, you know, people will accept the abuse of the, of the partner because they, they're kind of looking at them through rose tinted glasses. That's like one way I could kind of like defend that. But and even really, then it's kind of like, it's, a, it's yeah. a bit of a stretch. Again, I think Lucas
0: was referencing something he loved, which is uh, the searchers. Mm. and i think he didn't necessarily view the tuscans as fully realized humans which oh, i actually thought sure. was uh, one of my favorite things about Book of the boba, boba fett series yeah. i mean say what you will about that but the way that they yeah. really developed the Tuskins. and yeah. now i actually make a point never to refer to them as sand people because yeah. i feel like that's sort of like mm-hmm. a I mean, I know that like, you know, we're talking about like a fantasy universe and nothing's related. Anyway, yeah. but like, I feel like it's a bit of a dismissive racist thing to call them sand yeah. people, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think in, in a way it was kind of evolving, you know, if we're living through the lens of Western, like it was evolving that depiction from like a 50s or, or something depiction yes. to like a nineties a dances with wolves, Yes. you know? But right. I think there's also another layer on it, because tomorrow mortison is an indigenous actor yes so exactly i think it's a little it's it's a little bit of an inversion of this as well because instead of the white man you know kind of becoming the best native it's an indigenous actor playing that character so it's more exactly yeah sort of helping his fellow indigenous uh rise up yeah I, I give them a lot of credit for that. My only wish is that instead of then wiping out the whole Tuscan camp, just as motivation for him, I wish that yeah. they had played into the more of a role, you know, like yeah, especially in the co- finale. Yeah. When he kind of builds that coalition, he's kind of building his coalition. And I really I wish the Tuscans kind of became a part me, of that. You me know?
0: too. Me too. And that's
1: where I thought it was going. Yeah. Yeah. Book of Boma Fett is interesting is it, I think, like the prequels, it's it can be pretty uneven. But I, you know, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think one thing that really stood out to me as a prequel fan that I'm like, oh, that's so George Lucas was the Vespa. You know what? Everyone made a Hufflepuff about these. Oh, yeah. The Vesper gang.
0: Yeah, the Vesper gang.
1: Yeah, that was very (laughs) Lucas. That was like the
0: diner in Attack of the Clones. Like in the yellow hot law- rod speeder. Like that's what that mm-hmm. that was.
1: Yeah, because Lucas loves, I mean, he made American graffiti. He loves yes. classic cars. He loves this like 50s aesthetic, uh the 1950s kind of kitsch aesthetic. And I, and that, I thought that that's 100 percent that, what yeah. that was. Yeah. And there are so many, there are so many fans who are like, you know, and I understand if it if it kind of you know, maybe it doesn't fit with the Tatooine atmosphere, but there were so many fans that were like, you know, this isn't Star Wars. And I'm like, this is so Star Wars. This is George Lucas. Like, This is very (laughs) Star Wars. Another thing
0: about, like, you know, this this isn't Tatooine, like, I think science fiction and Star Wars in particular tends to forget planets are big. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like every single style of clothing, every single accent that we know has all come from one planet. So, yeah. so, so the idea that, that there's yeah. like a, a different flavor or a different side mm-hmm. of this planet that we haven't seen, it sort of scans for me.
1: Yeah. I was talking about the Clone Wars micro series before. And I think one of the things that really helped me in terms of the aesthetics of the prequels, not have an issue with it as, as other fans maybe do, is that to me, the prequels are almost like, it's almost like a different medium the original trilogy it's like it's it's storytelling in a different mode it's it's um and to me the fact that star wars for me it's sometimes animated it's sometimes textual you know a book you know to be the fact that star wars could span so many different mediums it kind of made it so that it didn't matter that it looked different um because it it was just kind of a different yeah it was a different medium in a way it was the digital filmmaking and the the cgi wasn't naturalistic it wasn't true to life but it it was telling that story it that was just a different medium to tell the story and um so that's one thing i wanted to say the other thing i love that i
0: agree with you a hundred percent like my only quibble that i'm not saying that i'm right but i love what you just said But for me, the fact that that was supposed to be part of one cohesive story, the Mm -hmm. the the separate like changing mediums, you know, implications halfway through, for me was a little challenging.
1: Yeah, and I think it helps that there it does help that there's a big time gap between the prequels and the. I mean, it's it's not that big; it's twenty years, but um, which is maybe less than some people thought originally. But it does help me a little bit. Kind of, these are kind of subunits. The prequel trilogy and the original trilogy are kind of subunits of this larger story, and they have their kind of own aesthetic sensibilities.
0: Oh, uh, did you know that John Williams actually wanted to record a new main theme for the opening crawl for the prequel? Oh,
1: uh, I think I might have heard that. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: And George Lucas said, "No, it's got to be the same theme uh, because I want it to be one cohesive thing." But in retrospect hearing what you just said about like how yeah. you know like that sort of a subunit i actually kind of would have liked that because yeah. i think that well, that would have helped viewing the films as those sort of subunits yeah. the way that you just described
1: and i think that's kind of that ended up he kind of he maybe learned from his lessons a bit because with the clone wars series i remember one direction from george lucas was to Kevin Kiner, the composer from that for that series, is I don't want it to sound like John Williams. I want it, I want it to be its own thing. And Interesting. I think I think that was in that case that was kind of a smart decision. And I think he does use the Williams themes like very sparingly in certain moments, um, much like you know the newer shows do, like Mandalorian and Obi Wan. And but um, you know the the music there was much less orchestral. There was an orchestral aspects to it but it was much more like poppy a little bit there was you know it wasn't quite the same it wasn't the john williams style much of the way that mandalorian is kind of you know influenced by spaghetti westerns that it's its own mm. style of music clone wars has kind of its own style of music and i think that was smart um i will say i wouldn't trade the scores for the prequel trilogy for anything but <laughs> they're right. fantastic
0: yeah, yeah. No, to me, amazing.
1: to me and i i um I used to listen to a podcast called Star Wars Oxygen. and I then, was just telling my friend, I was
0: just telling someone yeah, about that yesterday. And that I be- love, yeah. I love those podcasts.
1: And that became the soundtrack show he, when he started his own show. It, it's he, he works at Lucasfilm. I'm forgetting the name of the... Yeah, um, I'm blanking on the name. I'll look it yeah, up
0: because I just sent someone the link. Um
1: so I, I did kind of want to talk a little bit about what, re, what actually rehabilitated my enjoyment of the prequels. Cause li, like yeah, I, please. yeah, like I said, I, you know, I went through a phase like where it was like the prequels were the cool thing to hate or whatever. And there were a few different things that I think rehabilitated my enjoyment. One was, um, funny enough, the prequel memes community at subreddit. Which I think has turned unfortunately a little bit toxic, like all Star Wars fandom things have. It's now it's kind of like the prequel memes because the prequels are better than the sequels blah what yeah, you know, everything's a comp, everything's a competition. But to me, there's a camp value in the prequels, and i I don't mean that in like a derogatory way. Um, you know, in like derogatory way, i I love Revenge of the Sith and even some of the lines that are very corny. You know, I love them. Like the whole like exchange that like General Kenobi, like, hello yeah. there. Like, that. I love all that stuff because, you know, it, it has a camp value. It's a bit larger than life. To me, Revenge of the Sith is a very maximalist film. Um, and it's very, you know, it it's very formalist. It's not concerned with depicting things as opposed to maybe something like Empire Strikes Back, which really is about the characters and it's about more, more naturalistic kind of more... nat- Yeah, naturalistic performances, kind of real yeah. pe the way real people interact with each other. I think that's one thing that's held me a lot with the prequels is it doesn't have to be the way real people interact because it's a fairy tale. It's it's a it's a representation. It's a representation. It's represents a, a mode of storytelling much like in a musical It doesn't matter that the characters break out in song, even though, like, in real life, people wouldn't do that. I kind of feel like the same way, to a certain extent, you know, to a lesser extent, about Revenge of the Sith and the prequels, is the performances are larger than life. You know, if you look at the best performance, in my opinion, the best performance in the prequel trilogy is Ian McDermott. Um, Yeah, yeah, because he knows exactly how to play
0: it, and and he hits it perfectly.
1: Yeah, and it's camp, you know, it's camp it's um you know it's not a lot of times it's not subtle it's not understated it's overstated but that's a valid stylistic way of doing it and i think that's really the only way to to do joshua lucas's dialogue sometimes um yeah and i i think with the performers that kind of knew that's what it was and they were leading into it i think of mcdermott i think of ewan mcgregor um, I think, I think it really works. And, and I, um, you know, to me, I kind of, so like, to me, so many prequel lines, despite them having, you know, quote unquote, bad dialogue. And I wouldn't disagree that the dialogue is not, you know, if you'd not, what you'd want to, you know, show off in a film class as an example of, of great dialogue, but Yeah. Like it's not Mammoth. Yeah. The lines are. The lines are, have become iconic. A lot of the prequel lines have become iconic because, because of the camp quality, because of how larger than life and specific they are. They're so specific to George's sensibilities that, you know, it's kind of endearing to me and I, I think that that was that was something that that helped me more to the prequels other aspects were like i said the clone wars series when i finally got into that and kind of got past my preconceived notions of that that kind of really enriched my kind of reading of those those films and get more invested in characters and the other thing was the fan edit community you know um like watching fan edits it can trim out the kind of the sticking points, the kind of things that you can't get past when you're just trying to absorb the film. You know, there's certain things that take you out of it. And fan edits for a long time were kind of a way for me to watch the films and have it be a smooth experience, not have to, you know, just kind of like breeze past those moments in a fan edit and just focus on the stuff that works. Yeah, they sort of allow you to see the film that is there. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. You're not so hung up on the aspects that don't work because you know it lets you see the aspects that do work, and yeah. um, you know. And again, like as I started to appreciate the films more, my taste in fan edits has even changed, where I prefer a little more conservative. You know, a little like has a little more of the flavor of the original thing. But yeah, so really those three things, the fan edits, and to a lesser extent also, the. um, for a little while, I was never a star... Um, So I grew up with the Knights of the Old Republic video game. And Mm -hmm. that's probably another reason why I was very like a Jedi focused fan and not a smugglers. you know, in that side of the universe. Knights of the Old Republic is all about the Old Republic and the Jedi. And um, so that was kind of a big thing for me. But I really got I was never really into the expanded universe, meaning like the books and stuff. And that was until I would say around like 2014, like basically in the lead up to Force Awakens, I kind of got back into Star Wars, watching the Clone Wars and kind of um, because I got excited about Star Wars again and I kind of wanted to absorb everything I could. And I read um a couple expanded universe novels some which um were early disney canon others which um were non-canon at that point um but you know what what does that mean anyway but the darth plagis novel um i've heard good things about that yeah it really like specifically the phantom menace i feel like it really i don't want to say rehabilitates that movie but it a lot of the things that might have you scratch in your head when you watch the movie it kind of gives justification for. And that's kind of my one criticism of the novel, actually, as well, is that it feels more like a patch to the movie that it does like a engrossing story in its own right. Um, mm. But there's so much more like And this is something the, the Plinkett reviews harped on a lot. is kind of the inscrutable politics of The Phantom Menace. And I, I don't, when I watch the film now, I don't think they're inscrutable at all. I think the message George is sending is perfectly clear. And I think the, the political scenes are, are integral to the film. I, you know, I, I don't think, you know, when people say like, oh, the problem with the prequels was all, all the politics, it was boring. You know, that's one of my favorite part of the prequels. So I, I'm not, I agree with um, you. um, even something like, for example, you look at how a new hope, and I, I think one, it had to be that way because I think. The original trilogy was very much a traditional hero's journey story. It was a triumphant story, a triumphant ending. It ended on an up. The prequels were always going to end on a downer, and they were always going to have to be, well, how did we get here? It was kind of a story about what has to happen to our systems as a society. How do we decay to the point where something like this can happen, where like a person can can do these things. And one of the things I love about Revenge of the Sith is that it is kind of looking on that at, at, on an interpersonal level between, like, Anakin and Kenobi and on a societal level and a systems level of kind of... And, you know, that's where I do feel like some of those deleted scenes um, add a lot to it as well. Specifically, that I'm thinking of the stuff with Padme and Bail Organa. And, yeah,
0: um for sure.
1: But... um. You know, it's kind of like the collapse of society. And it's kind of like in this fulcrum, this fulcrum point is this one man. And I I don't know. I just think it's really ambitious and it's really, you know, there's, there's actually an art critic uh, named uh, Camille Paglia, and she's like a fine art critic. She has a book where she wrote a great piece on Revenge of the Sith and why she thinks it's like one of the greatest, like, 21st century works of art, or something. And it's I like, I must
0: read this. I've never
1: honestly, I haven't read the full book. I have to confess, I just read the section on Star Wars, but it's called uh, Glittering Images by Camille Paglia. And, um, she writes about Star Wars and then about Revenge of the Sith specifically and specifically the climax of the movie and kind of the duel, the the intercut duels into kind of like the ending and the kind of ending montage of like Padme giving birth while well, contrasted with essentially the death of Anakin and him. And kind the of birth a, of Vader. A and rebirth. The of, yeah. Yeah, a rebirth of Vader. His rebirth as Vader it's kind of the death of Padme and the death of Anakin and the birth of Vader and the birth of the twins. And there's kind of this parallelism. And then kind of, um, she talks about kind of like how she sees like having bail and Obi-Wan, how they are kind of presented as like nurturing male figures in kind of the end where he's handing off the baby. Like, you know, it's a little like high minded, but it's, it's really compelling. And, um, I definitely recommend that as a read. And, um, The other thing I was going to say is with the opening of Phantom Menace, a lot of people say, why is it so slow? Why is it so boring compared to like something like A New Hope where it's a bombastic opening? It's like we're in the middle of a firefight. And I think the way I see it is what George was trying to say with that is kind of how the banality of evil and how evil kind of slowly seeps into, you know, it's in these kind of boring trade disputes you know, people get complacent and, and they don't see the kind of the, the again, the phantom menace, like it couldn't be more on the nose, kind of lurking underneath. It's And I, I feel like it's super kind of prescient in terms of like the direction our society has gone. I mean, I don't want to get too political on your show, but, uh, you know, it's just kind of like, there's a bunch of people kind of being like, nothing's wrong. This is, you know, whereas, you know, there's something clearly wrong. Something is clearly afoot. It's this kind of veneer, and the the whole idea with the fandom is, is this kind of veneer of everything being perfect and beautiful. where well, it's rotting kind of,
0: from the inside out, it's
1: rotting from the inside out. And I thought that was really beautiful and really conceptually interesting. So, like, I don't really have that issue of the opening. It's not an accident that the movie starts slow. It's intentionally a contrast to A New Hope. And I think, even though for the fact that in A New Hope, it's Leia saying, Well, I, you know, I'm a senator, I'm you know, I'm a dignitary, you know, and in this situation, it's the villains. It's the Nemoidians being like, well, what we're doing is legal. You know, we're upstanding. It's kind of an inversion of that. And I think, uh,
0: Newt Gunray, Newt Gingrich and Ronald Reagan is where that name comes from. Not, not there. These movies are very political. George is saying something very specific and it's not subtle. The, um, the one thing that I will say In regards to the politics of it all is I used to think that the prequel depiction of, you know, the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire, and even the fall of Anakin, uh, to a degree were, you know, kind of facile and simplistic, and I didn't really buy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But as the years have gone on, and I have seen what has been happening in the real world. Yeah, I think the prequels are more freshen, as you said. And I appreciate them and understand them a lot more than I did when they originally came out. Yeah.
1: It reminds me of the kind of the criticism of like, obviously, uh, on a whole different, whole different kind of movie, whole different tier than the prequels, but a movie like Jaws, where people would be like, well, why didn't, you know, that's not realistic. They would absolutely close the beach, run away. <laughs> you like, you know, another no, one. It's like, like no, yeah. No, they you look ways. at the world we live in now. It's,
0: yeah, like, it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you 100%. Um, I want to thank you, Keith. I really enjoyed this conversation and I really appreciate you being to Come on and have this chat. And I'm going to watch the Clone Wars based on what you said. I think you sold me. Cool.
1: You'll have to, yeah. you'll have to let me know how it goes.
0: I will. I will. Again. I want to thank Keith for his time and his patience while I sat on this episode for almost a year, but it's finally out there and hitting your ears. So thank you, Keith. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, like, rate, and review the show on your platform of choice. We are Trash pod across all social media, and you can email us at TrashComPod at gmail.com. Transcripts of this episode and all our other episodes are available at TrashComPod.com. And as always, we will see you on the next one.